It's looking good out there. It's looking beefy. Man. Let's pray. Ah, Father, bless you. Always starting off with a sigh of a sense of the weight of what it means to be the people of God, responsible to God. Especially for those of us that often find ourselves before or in front of the people of God, we really feel it. Father, we just want you to be pleased. Um, You're going to stop this thing called this life. And you're going to enter it yet again. Lord Jesus, you're going to touch down and you're going to tell us what you think about how we spent our years in this life. You're going to have a beamer seat for believers. Where through some process of yours, you're going to test the quality of our work. There will be a disparity between what the human applause said and what you say. And there will also be a disparity between what the human booze said and the applause you will give. There's a white throne judgment for people who die outside of Jesus Christ. There there will be no applause. There will be only booze. And there at the white throne, the books will be pulled out and the list of deeds done outside of Christ in the body will be shown to be the reason why those individuals will spend an eternity banished, banned from your glory, your comforts, your things. So with that in mind, Lord God, knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. We're telling people that they can be right with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing that those of us who are in Christ, be in light of the judgment seat, we strive to build on no other foundation other than Christ and him crucified. So today, Lord God, rock your people. Rock your people with the right stuff. Word on the street is that there's a little bit of buzz going on surrounding this place. May the buzz Be about the right stuff and may people who come, come not for the buzz, but for the God who's sparking all the buzz. We ask that, Lord God, because we know better than to try to share your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're back at it. The series through John called Jesus Christ Unplugged. For those of you all who don't know. If you're not keeping in step with us, we're a young church plant. A lot of us long to participate in what God is doing. And so we found ourselves recognizing that his people who've been poured into now become the ones entrusted to do the pouring. We gathered as a particular community in North Philly because we wanted to see what if our God was strong enough to make a difference against the odds. If you're in this area as a young inner city church, you're, it's, the odds are stacked against you that you'll be much of anything. Um, and so we started off by saying, man, what are we going to do? We spent our first year taking our original core team through the book of First Corinthians, which basically helped us get ready for being able to see God do things differently. 
Um, not choosing the wise things, not choosing the strong things, but choosing the weak things, which we counted ourselves. We counted ourselves not that wise and, and not that strong. So it was comforting to know through First Corinthians that often God in his gospel is God doing much with little. And so now we said, man, when we go public, what are we going to do? What's the first thing we're going to launch into? And it was, man, how about a study of Jesus Christ, the one in whom it all hangs in the balance around? The, the, the great fork in the road is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And so today it's interesting. Um, last week we talked about the, uh, the bread of life discourse where Jesus basically stepped on the scene and he basically tells people who've been coming after him, who've heard about his buzz. He tells them, hmm, I'm starting to wonder why you're coming. Are you coming because I'm the bread of life or are you coming because I'm able to provide bread in life? <laughs> and that's the question for us today. I mean, are we after the bread he gives or are we after him whose bread who was given? And so today we get a chance to um, sort of have to do a recap because we're only really going to deal with a very small portion of scripture from 60 to 60 to 71, which is different for us. You know, you used to a whole bunch of verses um, last week. Um, Pastor Mace, I mean, almost did the whole chapter, but he did leave me a little closing remarks. And so uh, I get a chance to just look at how he caps this 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 um, this chapter off. But it's banging because in this is basically the summary of all that he dealt with yesterday. So some of it we're going to revisit just so that we can, you know, uh, uh, cap it off. I like to talk about what will you do about the problem with Jesus? The problem with Jesus. What are you going to do about the problem with Jesus? As we're going through this book, we come to a place after last week where we recognize that there's a problem. There's a problem with the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is not hungry for attention. He's not, I mean, desiring crowds. He gets them by the nature of who he is, but he doesn't try to keep them when they come. And often he throws them hard pills to swallow. And I know that Everybody comes to the point where they get beyond Jesus's catchy side and they have to do something about the hard pills that he that he that he often dishes out to us. I'm now the only son of my parents, but I used to have a brother. My brother, I remember the last conversation that we had before the Lord took him. I'm not even so sure I can confidently say the Lord took him to be with himself because of the way his life seemed to unfold. But the last conversation we had, it was almost like the passage we're going to read. It was almost like Jesus Christ and his offer and his mission was placed before him. And decisively, I remember, my brother spent most of his life in and out of jails, in and out of prisons. And I, would, I remember we both were doing dirt at one time. But then God snatched me and I came back to the Lord. And I used to visit him in jail. I'd go and I'd travel and I'd go through all of the security checks and see my brother decked in orange or decked in blue out in the common area. 
and I would say, champ, you remember the half-step induce you knew? The dude who, like you, was professing Jesus but never, ever living it? I'm different now. And he noticed it over the course of years. He noticed that I wasn't the half-stepper. I wasn't the same dude smoking weed and talking Bible. There was a difference. And so I used to, I used to preach to my brother like, champ, I know. My brother's name was champ. I know. I know that it, I, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but chant, I'm telling you, it's real. All the stuff Pop Dude told us about Jesus Christ is real. It's, yo, I'm telling you, he can be your delight. I know as a kid it was just rough growing up in a Christian home, but he can be your delight. And he used to just look at me like, Shh, I know, man, I know what you're saying, but, well, when he finally got out the last time, my father, who we hadn't been together as a threesome in over, I, I, I can't even remember how many years it was. I think it was about seven or eight years before we had seen my father and the two boys, his two boys together. We met him the day that he came out of prison. And we looked at him and my pops is standing there and I'm standing there and we're looking at champ. And my pops is, is rejoicing because I'm back. And so we had a little private session. And at the session, I said, champ. I'm telling you, for some reason I was crying. I hadn't cried I don't know how many years. I hadn't cried at that point. I don't know how many years. For some reason, I couldn't stop crying. I was like, Jim, I'm telling you, this time you're for real, man. I'm and, I mean, he was just looking at me with a hard look. And he said, Deuce, yo, man, it just doesn't seem to work for me. That's, that's good for you. And for some reason, I, I couldn't stop crying. I left. About a month later, my wife and I got a call, and it was my family telling me that my, my brother had been shot and killed. For some reason, from that point on, I didn't cry. And I think part of it was just I just didn't want to cry anymore. And I remember feeling like, what if this dude was confronted with this, this chance to embrace Jesus Christ and live consistently with what he had been professing and said, no, thank you. Question on the floor is what happens when Jesus doesn't let you dance around his demands anymore? But he places himself from you and he demands a decision. And he doesn't make it easy for you. In fact, he makes it more difficult for you. The bread of life is where Jesus comes out. Of the closet and says, let me tell you exactly what I'm talking about. And that's why today I want to deal with the problem with Jesus. I want you all to just follow me because our text today, I'm going to read the text. Then we're going to go back and help and, and, and make sense of it. 60. Let's start with John chapter six, verse 60. When many of his disciples. No, let's start with fifty nine. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. We're going to look at what things he said. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The problem with Jesus. 60 to 61 introduces us to the problem exposed. The problem exposed. It says here that disciples heard it and said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The idea here is not that this is hard to understand. The idea is this is hard to accept. You know, some stuff in the Bible is just hard to understand, so you don't accept it. Other things, oh, no, you know what it's saying, you just don't accept it. This is a hard saying, and so what is the things that he said that the disciples said, this is too hard for me? Well, that would recap this uh, this this bread of life discourse. And so the first thing is their problem exposed is they wanted the provision of Christ rather than the person of Christ. So let's just recap. Turn to uh, verse 60. Um, excuse me. Twenty six. Verse twenty six of chapter six. Jesus sees this crowd who's who he's fed and now they're coming to him for more feeding. Verse 26 says, Jesus answered them. Truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So the first thing he says is, I'm not fooled by why you're seeking me. You don't want the person of Christ. You want the provisions of Christ. The next thing, you don't want eternal pursuits. You're not on an eternal pursuit. You're on a temporary or temporal pursuit. That's why he says, stop laboring. Stop putting in a lot of hours on the clock for food that perishes temporary. He says, you need to be laboring and hustling for food that has eternal value or eternal duration. So they had a problem with their desire for the temporal rather than the eternal. They also had a problem with the way Jesus viewed himself. Now, these are Jews, so that, you know, they're they're up on their religion. They're up on their their theology. It's just that they had a problem with the way Jesus looked at himself. Verse 29. Listen, it says here, this is the excuse me. They said, uh, let's start with 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works, plural, of God? Jesus answered them. Now, let me clarify. This is the work, singular, of God. You can sum it up like this. That you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus saw himself as the sent one. But watch them. Uh, So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. 
written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he, speaking of himself, who came, comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They had a problem with Jesus seeing himself as some special sent one, someone who's better than Moses and someone who's from heaven sent to give life. So they had a problem. They had a problem with wanting physical pursuits, not just temporary, but material. They wanted material things rather than spiritual things. Look at 33 to 34 says here. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now, he's already flipped and told you he's talking about a spiritual or heavenly bread that he himself is that. What do they say? No, they're thinking still materially. Yo, give us that bread. Same thing at the woman at the well. Jesus talks about himself being the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never have to drink again. What does she say? Hey, give me this so I don't have to keep coming here again materially. Same thing with them. Yo, there's bread that you, once you eat, you won't hunger again. Then they say, oh, yo, give us a boatload of that bread. We're tired of having to, like, come around the other side of the lake for you. You might as well just give us a, a lifetime supply of the bread so we don't have to come. He says here, see, now like you're not understanding. I can tell now you have a desire for the physical, but not necessarily the spiritual. They also had a problem with his his divinity being asserted along with his humanity. Like they believed in his humanity. They're looking at him. Look what it says here. Verse 41 to 42 it says here. So the Jews grumbled. We're talking about the problem exposed. Uh, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I came down out of heaven? They had a problem with Jesus running it like he existed before Mary and Joseph. They had a problem with him basically saying he was divine and not just human. These are the problems that they had with him. They had a problem with his emphasis on a sacrificed death as the key to their eternal life. Look at verse 51 all the way to 58. Look at this. It's Jesus goes into this deep thing about living bread. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, the reason why I stopped to say this is him exposing his sacrificed life is because he doesn't just use the metaphor on bread. Now he says, and the bread is my flesh. You have to eat my flesh. The only way you can eat his flesh is if you, he's talking about his death. And so he says here, uh, then the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to him, to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, then he makes matters worse and drink his blood. You have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my body is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. They had a problem with this concept of a death being the key to life. You know, the Jews, they couldn't mess around. They couldn't touch a corpse. They couldn't drink. Uh, they couldn't eat meat that had blood in it. And so this idea of Jesus, this Jew coming to the Jews saying, hey, you've got to partake of something bloody and something dead they had a problem and they understood what he was talking about even though they didn't understand all the spiritual implications so now it goes on and it says when many of his disciples verse 60 heard it they said this is a hard saying now the question is when jesus hits them with this If they have a problem with it, what are you going to do? Because their problem is often like our problem. Their problems are a template for our problems, the problems of our culture. Now, I'm not coming after anybody. The only thing we hate about these series is it always sounds like you're talking to people you know. Because we're all so guilty of some or more of what we're about to see. Let's take provision for Christ more than the person of Christ. Or temporal pursuits more than eternal pursuits. The gospel of prosperity is more favored in this culture than the gospel of the cross. That's just the culture we live in. The gospel of what God has in store for you is more favorable than the God who he has for you. I mean, I know I know that Jesus loves me, but I want to know are my bills going to get paid. That's a legitimate desire. But Often we hide behind that and try to run it like I want my bills paid and Jesus. Jesus exposes them by saying, no, it's not that way. You don't want both. You want one and not the other, which is why when I just place the one before you, which is me and me given for you, you're going to walk away. He goes on. This is why we pray to a God we won't serve. How many people you know don't pray? Now, they won't serve God, but they'll pray to God. You know why? Because prayer is where you register your request. We live in a society that doesn't have a problem with prayer so much as we do serving God. This is why we make requests of a God we won't have a relationship When's the last time you talked to him? When's the last time you obeyed him? I don't know. But when's the last time you made a request? Oh, I did that the other day when I was about to get a ticket. I said, oh, Lord, don't let me get a ticket. (laughs) We want heaven, but we don't want him on earth. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. It's just don't bog me down with God on earth. Meet me at the pearly gates. That's when it's on with me and you. We want his blessings, but we don't want him. Take temporal pursuits rather than eternal. 
We pursue for things that bring us more immediate payoff in a way that we don't pursue things that the Lord Jesus says, I've got your paycheck coming. So we grind for secular jobs in a way that we won't grind for heavenly tasks. We'll, like, we know that the man doesn't play. We think God does. I remember when I was working, like back when I didn't like when I was when I had to go to I, I worked for a temp agency. So I worked for a temporary agency with Pico Energy. And I remember being at the electric company with people who were hired by Pico. Now, if you were a Pico employee and not a temp dude that was just on Pico's, you know, around Pico employees. I mean, you had sick days. You had vacation leave. You made a couple dollars. But I wasn't. I was like the temp dude that was just on the premises doing the same work. But when I got sick, no pay. And if I wanted to go on a vacation, no pay. Plus, you couldn't go on a vacation. They didn't play that. I can remember days wanting the paycheck to be a certain amount. I needed it. So even when I was sick, I had to go to work. Even one day my, I had took some pills, somebody's, like somebody else's pills. I never forget. I was like, yo, man, yo, your mom got, what's his name? Yeah, yo, my, oh, bet. Let me use these. Literally. I took the pills, my whole face swelled up. But I didn't realize it was the pills, right? Because first it started just a little itch. So I took more pills. Like, I still got this crazy chat cough and I'm itching. I took more pills. The next day, my eye pieces were swole like Rockies, right? Both of them. I had to go to work anyway. I remember my wife, I met, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but I remember meeting her. I had the hat pulled low, shades on, like, what's good? I'm just telling you that, this, like, because I wanted that, that immediate paycheck, I was willing to do things that once I stopped needing the money and it was just for ministry, oh, I don't feel good. Man, I, got, I'm, I think I'm coming down with something. I'm not going to go. Temporal pursuits. Four years of Bible college. Four years of seminary. Study, study, study. Then got out of the school. Yo, you need to study. Four minutes and some seconds of study. We make dollars far better than we make disciples. This is too convicting. Let's move on. We like our idea... Of Jesus more than the biblical Jesus. Let's just take that. They like their idea of Jesus. Hey, this is Joseph's boy. They didn't mind that Jesus. The Jesus who said, I'm the bread that came from heaven. They, now, they didn't investigate. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't measure his credentials up against the scriptures. They had an idea who he was. They were perfectly fine with that idea. When he tried to step outside the bounds of their own idea, that's when they had a problem. And for us, we go on what we think about Jesus even when we never even investigated it. Some of you love the real Jesus, but you don't even know he's the real Jesus. It's just that somebody who gave you the real Jesus beat somebody who was giving you the false Jesus to the punch. Uh, I was in um, Boston Market talking with this sister uh, about the Lord, and she has a Muslim father, a Jehovah Witness mother. And I came preaching a Christian Jesus, right? So I'm telling her about Jesus. She, I said, and I mean, I, I, I said, let me just ask you a question. Is Jesus God? And I said, you believe in Jesus? She said, yeah. I said, is Jesus God? She said, no. 
I was like, mm, okay, bet. Where'd you get that from? I don't know. I just don't think he's God. I said, okay, bet. But how it's interesting is is he like do you believe in the Jesus of the like the Muslim Jesus? And I said, because you know he's not God and he's not the Son of God. He's just a prophet. She was like, mm, no, I don't think that. I said, what about the Jehovah Witness Jesus? I mean, he's he's special, but he was created. And she was like, mm, I don't know. And I was like, well, what about the Jesus I'm telling you about? You know, he's he's God and man. And mm, I don't know. Like she just was content to just move through life with just I like I'm never gonna check on this stuff. I'm just going to see which one, like, meshes with how I feel that day, and that's the Jesus. <laughs> Take the physical pursuits rather than the spiritual pursuits. Now, look, I'm not hating on anyone, and this, so just know that, like, we're just pointing out how these eternal truths expose us. Today, what do you, which book do you think would do better? Woman, thou art loose, or Packers knowing God. Woman, thou art loose, will blow J.I. Packers knowing God out the water. If for no other reason, then woman, thou art loose, is a, it's closer to home than knowing God. But that's because we're into material or instant things we can touch and relate to more than things that are so-called of the spirit. This is why conferences on your destiny will do better than conferences on the nature of God, the components of the gospel. Come out to the components of the gospel 2008 where we're going to have dudes you never heard of but who are faithful to the text. Nobody's coming. (laughs) Come out to stepping into your blessing 2008. I'm not dissing. I'm just letting you know that this is this is the case. This is why, like, like we 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 read hip hop magazines more than spiritual um, literature. Um, we rock secular music and know those lyrics better than we know any of the praise and worship joints, which we've been doing for like eight months. This is why we spend more money on fashion than we do books that inform us about our faith. This is why our homes are decked out um, with some of the most creative designs and in our areas of ministry are bathed like in the blandness of, you know what I'm saying, the bare minimum. Like this is what the bread of life discourse exposed. The problem with Jesus is he comes and demands that you flip your priorities and then you mess around here and realize if that's what he's after, mm, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The problem exposed. Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. It doesn't say Jesus overheard them grumbling about this. It says Jesus knowing in himself that cats had problems with a, 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 a savior who comes to not just rescue you and send you on your way, but then tell you what to do afterwards. He knows cats have a problem with it. And so he steps to them and he says, hmm, does this offend you? Now, we live in a day where the moment we can tell that truth is offending, we pull back on truth. First of all, it's not good for business. It's not good for church growth. It's not good for fans. It's not good, like, if you want to, like, for media um, image. 
Jesus looks and says, does this offend you? And he doesn't just expose the problem. But now he looks and he says, now, nah, you let me explain the problem. Verse 62 to 65. He says, what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were, uh, excuse me, who did not believe in who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus Christ here makes it clear. The problem exposed, you can see by the grumbling. The problem explained starts with him saying, ah, you've got to understand that this is a spiritual problem. And not just a physical one without the spirit. He goes into now. whenever Jesus is talking about heavenly or spiritual truth and the people he's talking about grumble or don't believe him. He refers back to where he comes from to let you know, first of all, the reason why you're having a problem receiving this is because you're having a problem receiving the one who was bringing the new truth. You're stuck with what you came to me with. When you come to me, I upgrade your thinking. But because you don't receive me, you won't receive my upgrades. See, one of the things that like, I've been noticing is a lot of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Every now and then, we come to a season where God is trying to upgrade even us. And we're reluctant to change because we've grown comfortable thinking like we've always thought. And it's hard to accept new, especially if the new truth is going to mess with you a little bit. So he starts and says, wait a minute, without the spirit, man can't perceive Jesus correctly. So he starts and says, I've got a heavenly perspective. You've got an earthly perspective. What if you he says, would it make it better if you saw me go to where I was before? He says, yo, I'm bringing spiritual realities and you're only seeing naturally. He, that's why he says the spirit gives life. The flesh is of no avail. So now he comes on the scene with things that the natural man has a problem ingesting. See, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is it's consistent with itself. The Bible says that God told Adam, the day you eat, you'll die. And it's interesting that when they ate, they didn't die. But did they? Yes, they did. From that point on, they began to slump into and what we call the fall of man is where the man that God created is now not connected to the spirit and now not receiving downloads from the spirit. But the man is totally natural. So you do common, like All you have is common sense, not biblical sense. You don't see things spiritually. You just see things naturally. So he goes on. He says, yo, Adam fell and put us all in a state where us and our kids see naturally. Now, the only thing is, in the Bible, God wanted to show you the difference between a natural person and a spiritual person. So all through the scriptures, when God wanted someone to do something great, he had to allow his spirit to come upon them. So it says that's what anointing is in the Old Testament, when God's spirit would come on you to empower you to pull something off. And then he'd back up off you. And it was a it was this nice picture of seeing with the spirit, seeing without the spirit. 
And so now this idea of with or without the spirit, without the spirit, man is dead in the water. And God wanted to show you, you need a new hookup. You, that's why when Jesus came on the scene, he said to Nicodemus, see, unless you're born of the spirit, you won't see the kingdom of God. You won't receive the king or his kingdom. You won't enter it because I can't let you just be natural. He told the woman at the well, listen, I'm go- you receive me. I will impart to you that hookup that died in the garden, that spirit. And he will help you to be satisfied in your innermost being. He told his disciples that they needed the spirit to appreciate these hard pills. You need the spirit. So this is the problem explained. The problem is we have a problem with Jesus because we're unspiritual. We're regular people. We're only human. That's what we say. Whenever we can't pull, whenever we're living under what God demands of us, we say, I'm only human. And that's the problem. And so Jesus says, well, I want you to understand that without the spirit, you can't appreciate what I'm saying. Let's look at it biblically. Acts talks about how we go from Peter denying Jesus Christ to now Peter boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans 8. Let's just look at this principle. Again, we have a shorter passage of Scripture, so we can spend a little more time looking at supporting texts for this, this idea. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 through 8. Look what it says here. Romans 8, this idea of... The problem with when Jesus brings his hard pills is the lack of the impact of the spirit of God on our lives. Look what he says here. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. Now, the flesh is the natural. The mind is just set on the natural. It says is hostile to God, has a problem, grumbles. This is a hard saying. I don't like it. I'm going to some other church. I'm going to some other counselor. I'm going to somebody else. It's hostile to God. It says, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the natural or flesh cannot please God. Look at, go to nine. You, however, talking about people in Christ. This is the difference. Remember, with the spirit, without. You are not in the natural or the flesh. And the implication is alone. But in the spirit. He says, well, wait, let me just clarify. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, which is another way of saying the spirit of God, doesn't belong to God. This idea. Turn again. First Corinthians two. Let's look at this idea of with and without the spirit. First Corinthians two. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, if the spirit of God is in you, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God, which often register as hard pills. But you got the spirit so you could understand them, he says here. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus says, look, the problem exposed is I can tell that you're having a problem with my bread of life discourse full of all these things that rub you the wrong way. He says, but the problem is not with me. The problem is really with you. Because without the spirit, you can't perceive me. But not only that, turn back to our passage, John 7, excuse me, 6. Without the spirit, you can't perceive me. Without the father, you can't pursue me. Verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. Jesus says, see, this is this is why I have to let you all know. I'm not flustered by the fact that everybody now is having problems with me because the problem is not me. The problem is everybody else. And this is why I say to all the people who are really with me, without the spirit, you won't perceive me. You won't understand me. And without the father, you won't come after me. And the reason why this is important is because we live in a day where we will maneuver and manipulate in order to achieve a, a desired end. Jesus says, nah, I don't do that. I trace this all back to the fact that without God the Father, you're not going to come to me anyway. Coming to Jesus Christ has to start with God. You say, man, I know that. Well, we don't act like we know that. Because when people don't come, we examine our own game plan, and then we switch up stuff that is part of the game plan. He looks and he says, man, y'all, and he's looking and he's saying this to, remember, disciples, disciples who are having a problem with him. So he looks into disciples and he says, see, I'm just going to let y'all know right now. This is why I tried to tell y'all it takes God the Father. It takes the spirit. It takes a triune God. Some neglect Jesus. Some reject Jesus. It really doesn't matter. Jesus says, like, unless you end up coming, which we know, if you do, we know what already has happened. He says, I don't switch my game plan up. He says, without the Father, they're revealing their true colors. See, today, we act like it's impossible for people to really just not be saved. I mean, I, I do ministry. Nobody is not saved. I got friends, they smoke weed, they drink, and then I get a friend who's a friend of theirs, and they'll say, I say, yeah, well, they're not saved. Oh, they saved. I'm not saying if you smoke weed and drink, you can't be saved. I'm just saying, I'll say they're not saved, and they'll say, oh, no, they're saved. Why? Because, you know, the Spirit of God has opened their eyes to Jesus Christ, and God the Father has, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying they saved. 
Like, on what basis? We always say we don't want to judge. But then we do judge that they're saved. We just never judge that they're not. Biggie is in heaven. Left Eye's in heaven. Aaliyah's in heaven. Tupac's in heaven. I mean, but when you pull their catalog, you would at least think we'd say no comment. You would think that we judge, I can't comment on their salvation. But we don't. Most people have them in heaven. We always love you, Big Papa. (laughs) Certainly in church, no one's not saved. When we come to church, everybody is saved. You are God's anointed. You are God's... You're this, you're that. Everybody stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Run around, run around. And everybody is saved, right? Passionless youth who hate praise and worship. Can't stand the scriptures. Don't like the Christian rapper who's talking about Jesus. Don't like the Christian rapper who throws on a secular beat and just, you know what I mean? They're saved. I, I, th- I think their youth, like the majority of them, don't know, the, don't know the Lord. Oh, no, no, they know the Lord. It's just that. It's always they know the Lord is just that. Now, I can see if you know, no, no, all of them came to me. I mean, they professed a deep appreciation for the things of God at one time. They're just having a little slump. That would be one thing. But these are kids who've never perked up at the things of God. Just the ski trip. The ski trip that the church gives. The, the you know... Vacation Bible school that's known to bring all the great talent in. All of a sudden, everybody's happy. Then we talk the cross and the kids go to sleep. People who never pick up the scriptures. I mean, never. People who only say grace but don't pray. People who reject the fundamentals are saved. Yeah, but they said they don't even believe Jesus is God. Yeah, but they saved. But I heard the the preacher say Jesus wasn't God. I know he's got a big church, but he's but he's still saved. He doesn't believe that God is triune. He doesn't believe that. But like like Jesus is like all of these things. And they say Jesus looks at the crowd and says, hmm, the problem is not me. The problem is that you don't have the spirit of God, which according to First Corinthians, so, I mean, in Romans, if you don't have the spirit of God, you're not saved. Jesus looks at them and he doesn't say, oh, come on, guys, wait, wait, let's talk about this. Remember when you said, you said you liked me back there when I fed you. Remember how you was looking at me when I gave you that sandwich? Don't front. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He says, see, that's why I told you all. Crowds will come to me because I feed. But if anybody's going to come to me for who I really am and the demands I really make, got to be my father. Hmm. I tell you, the bread of life is where Jesus lets you know I'm talking death. The Christian life is about death that leads to life. Not the preservation of life to escape death. That's what we do. We try to hold our lives because we don't want to die. But God is so reverse that he calls for you to lay down your life. And he says, when you lay down your life, then you get it. That's Christianity. 
but it's not popular. So the bread of life is this idea of, like, let me take the lead. I am the bread. I got to give my flesh up just to start start it off. Blood of bulls and goats, that was just to get y'all, that was just to warm it up. Show y'all that God demands death first. That death is the doorway to life. And that's, that's metaphorical, too. That's in our own lives when God introduces a season of what feels like death. Pay cuts are death to a certain standard of living. Comforts are death to a certain place you want to live. Your hours and what you do with your time, death to the freedom to just wee. All this death is like fundamental to the faith. And that's what the bread of life is about. And that's what disciples, people who are close to Jesus, have a hard time with it. In 22 and in verse 41, the religious folk had a hard time with it. Now we see just disciples, at least what we thought were disciples. That's when you think somebody's on your team and all of a sudden even they diss you. How many times have I looked at people like, I know everybody feeling this. And then even the people I thought were down with me aren't down with me. You go in, it's a church. They were, they were hyped during praise and worship. Then you open the Bible and start preaching. And they, like, even they don't seem to like the passages that talk about death. Even the pastor will come to you like, yeah, can you, but can you just like tell them, talk to them about stopping secular music or something just peripheral. The problem exposed in verse 60 to 61, the problem explained, 62 to 65, the problem's exception, 66 to 71. Let's read. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go as well away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One. You are the one. You are the Holy One. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We're coming in for a landing. The problem exposed, the problem explained, and now the problem's exception because the rule is we're going to have a problem with Jesus. But it's not a problem with Jesus. It's the problem of Jesus. He's not who we thought he was. He's who he said he is. And now you have an exception to the rule because if the father didn't mess with us, there'd be no Jesus for us either. If the spirit didn't open the eyes, we wouldn't receive the hard pills of scripture either. But there's an exception. And let's look at it. First, we see the few. (laughs) Same question, but a different answer. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? I start by saying the problem's exception starts with a few because the Bible is clear. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and everybody's on it. 
Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. See, all, your, all these scriptures, they really do sort of tie in together. You know, the ones you heard all your life. And as you see, like, now it's starting to all be connected. Because the Bible just confirms itself over and over again. Here's a classic case where Jesus has disciples. Remember, it was almost 20,000 or a little over 20,000 at the feeding of the five. We, we would get excited at those numbers. There's probably a little less the next day or, like Pastor May said, it may be more because Cass is like, oh, man, he's feeding? Well, through the bread of life discourse, when he says, oh, I better, like, scale the crowd down, he starts revealing, I'm talking about death to you, but it'll start with me. And you must place your faith in me, the one who gives his life for you. Says that they had a problem with it. They begin to grumble. By the time we get here... Even the in, like inside the crowd was a group known as his disciples. So now we've gone from a crowd to just his disciples in the crowd. But you would think that's enough scaling down, Jesus. Go easy with the next thing you say. I mean, we don't mind scaling back some. We didn't have enough chairs anyway. But don't clear the place out. We don't want to go back to the core group back in our living room. Which was nine. In this case, he turns to the twelve. He goes from a crowd to some disciples to the twelve. It says that they left. That's what the Bible calls us, God's called out ones. He's going to tell his disciples, the twelve, he's going to say, yo, man, the world would love you if you were of the world, but you're not of the world. I've called you out of it. There's this concept of the few. And that's why we got to watch ourselves when we demand a great turnout. And it's not the turnout. It's when we demand to not scale the turnout down. And you got to watch it in your own life when you only leap for the stuff that would naturally keep them coming rather than embracing and laying before people the hard pills of Scripture. Same question, but a different response. Look at the response. First of all, there's nobody else to go to. We got a dilemma. If Jesus throws a hard pill your way, but what if that's the only pill? We're in a day where everybody wants a variety of options. I used to argue with the pro-black cults who didn't like Jesus because in their mind he was white. Or he was the white man's God. I'm like, okay, let's just say he is white. But if he's the savior, what you going to do? You ain't going to be stuck on a roof doing Katrina and they drop a white rope down. You tell me something. That's all right. You got a black one up there? If that's it. That's it. Peter's, by the Spirit of God, which we're going to see, Peter says, I mean, I got to be honest, this flesh stuff, I don't know about all of that, but I mean, who else are we going to go to? I remember me saying that one time. I said, I can't beat Jesus. I, I remember when I came back to the Lord. It was because I reasoned to myself, he can beat me. Literally. 
literally, because my life was so turbulent and I knew it was him. So, of course, God was already with me for you to think, oh, this is Jesus. Like I already was there. I was like, all right, because I used to think you could like ride the grace rope as far as you could go. And I used to tell God, when I'm older, I'm going to come to you. But let me just dangle with the grace rope because you're not going to kill me, right? Okay, bet. Now that I think you're not going to kill me, let me just sin a lot, but not as much as I could until you just won't take it anymore. And then one day, I mean, it felt like he just said enough is enough. Not only does he say you're the only one, we ain't, there's nowhere else to go. He says there's no one else to get life from. He says you have the words that produce life. So not only are you the only one, but you're the only one with life. Sometimes we get stuck in these airports. One thing I hate about being stuck in an airport, and they give like the, the few times they'll give you a meal voucher, they'll be like, all right, it's our fault. Here, here's $30. We'd be like, whoa, that's what I'm saying. But there's only one store open in the whole joint, the newsstand. So some, yeah, we got some cold sandwiches. I'm like, I got $30. Man, why isn't Chili's open right now? Fridays, all these restaurants, but they're all closed. And it's just this one place with a rack of sandwiches. $30 worth. <laughs> Let me get that sandwich and the drink, the cookie, 15 packs of gum. <laughs> you get mad when there's nowhere else. But it's either that or starve. Peter says, all right, let's just start from the top. There's nobody else to go to. For no other reason than there's nobody else with life on their tray. There's a lot of religious leaders out there. None of them have life. Not eternal life. I used to bug off how, like, the other religions don't even run it like they offer the kind of life that Jesus says he offers. None of them offer certainty. Some religious offer you'll come back. You're like, hey, I don't want to come back here. <laughs> I mean, some of them are like, yo, when, I, when you get there, he'll weigh stuff out. He's like looking at your record like, dude. Jesus says, I have the words of eternal life, and I satisfy, not just for this life, but the life to come. Then they said, and no one else has been provided by God. He says, we know and believe. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're who God looks at and says, that's my Holy One. This idea of Jesus Christ, that's why we always are talking about him. That's why this is our foundation as a church. We're praying, man, that God will give us, and we know in this neighborhood it's needed. We want to do some, we want to talk about budget. We want to talk about finance. We want to talk about doing well in school, which we are. These are the implications of this, that you'll do well in school, study habits. If you need help with reading, if you need, like, there's all kinds of stuff that we feel that as a good stewardship, we need to be responsible for. But, man, people are ignorant of the one who is the only one. Yeah. Tiffany said it earlier. Acts 4.12. 
Peter looked at Jews who would mess you up and said, there is no other name given. That's what they said. We have, we've come to know and believe that you're the only holy one of God. The demons used to say that. Oh, you're the holy one of God. Not, oh, another holy dude. Oh, man. You're the holy one. You come into this fork in the road. The exception to the rule is that there's always a few who get the same question but give a different answer. Who are they? That few is also the chosen. Same circle, but they're in a different state. Last 70 and 71. Right as Peter rightfully says, we ain't going nowhere. There's nowhere else to go. You're the only one that has it. And we've come to know you're the only one who's been provided by God, the one called the Holy One. Jesus said, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now, I don't think right here this is necessarily talking about election to salvation, but it's a principle. It's a principle that in the midst of the broader is always the smaller. And that smaller is this chosen. We may float in the same circles, but it doesn't mean that we share the same state. Everybody here may not be on point with the Lord. So by grace, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, it says, by grace you're saved through faith. And it says, yo, yo, like, this not of yourselves. <laughs> it's a gift of God. It's not by works, because I don't want you boasting. So God says, I dig inside and I snatch cats. The, they end up being fewer than what I dug into, but they become the chosen. And this balances this idea of Peter saying, yeah, we like we've come to understand this. He says, yeah, and I put you in a banging position because I chose you. There's a parallel to this in Matthew 16 when Jesus said when Peter said, hey, you're the Christ, son of the living God. He says, mm. and you see, this is the, this is this is the beauty. God always balances us. Sometimes you'll say, yeah, I came to Christ and somebody who's, you know, of a more Calvinistic bent will make sure that you don't get it twisted. Oh, you didn't just come to Christ. You know that, right? Oh, no, no, I know. You know what I'm saying? But some people are like, yes, I did. You know what I'm saying? So, no, you didn't. And here's the proof. Because every time somebody affirms that they're on point, God comes behind them and tells them, you only like that because I did something. So, Peter said, oh, we know you're the Christ, son of God. Our flesh and blood didn't give you that. My father did. This one, hey, we know that you're the, the holy one. Yeah, I chose you to roll with me. The exception to the rule is that there are few, and those few are chosen. Let's conclude like this. Turn to Matthew 13, 24 to 30, because the idea here is the exception to the rule, not only is it a few and it's chosen, but it's wheat and tear. This principle of the few and the chosen. Let's end it. Matthew 13. Just going to read it. Starting with 24. This is a parable. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This idea of the rule, the rule is men will reject Christ. The masses will not accept Christ. That's like that. That seems to be the rule that in every large batch, there's probably a smaller batch. Now, God can supernaturally do anything. I mean, he saved 3000 at Pentecost. But you know how many people were at Pentecost. So once again, the idea is that apart from God, people will do the natural thing. And that is to reject when the hard pills come. People won't reject God when God is dishing them delights. Where you'll see it come to to bear is when it's something rough about the faith that comes. And you and I, the same way, we will obey God until it gets too uncomfortable, till it's sticky. But the idea here is the problem is not with God or his law. The problem is with us. And the problem can be explained that we're less spiritual and more carnal or natural or earthly. God is giving you his spirit if you're in Christ. He's giving you the spirit so that you can begin to appreciate even the hard sayings of Scripture. The ones that make us say, dag, I wish. And so he looks and he says, but there's an exception to the rule. Don't don't panic. Because if you're in Christ right now, you're an exception to the rule. You're that few that's found in the midst of the many. You're that chosen. You're not just in the same circles. You have a secured state. And the reason why that I say that is because even in the 12, see this, this whittling crowds, disciples, and the disciples, the 12. And in the 12, Jesus says, there's one of you that's a devil. So even if we were to whittle us down to the real, there's still this principle of the wheat and the tear that often you can't tell who the real are. And so as we conclude the day, we pray that as we go through John, you'll realize God has sent Jesus Christ. Appreciate him. Love him. Come to him. Be saved. And so today, by way of application, I pray that there's somebody in here that will be honest with themselves. We have a lot of people here today. We have a place in our in our bulletin, what you got, that says visitors or decision for Christ. That's a place where if you don't believe that you and Christ are in a proper relationship, if you're just... Among us, but you're not one of us. 
You can write your name there indicating that today, as you hear about the one who gives his flesh that you may have life, you can even write down there, I just, I want somebody to talk to me about this because I'm not comfortable just being one of the crowd. I'm not even comfortable being called one of the disciples. I want to be one of those ones who say, I believe and I know, even in the face of the hard demands of discipleship, I believe and I know that you're the Holy One. There's no one else to go to, and I want to cling to Jesus Christ and be saved. For the rest of us, be confirmed in your faith. The Bible says do a check, and you'll really know if you're on point, if you're real. If, if God can throw you a lemon and you smile. If it feels like God is being mean, you still love him. If he slay you, yet will you trust in him. We're trying to raise mature believers. Believers, not just young people who like, who are caught up in the new youth wave of religion. We're trying to raise diesel saints. Saints who sit in the pew and say, yeah, I lost my job, and it was all because of my integrity. I had to stay on point for Jesus Christ, lost my job, and hey, it's almost like it feels like it's God's fault. But you know what? I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to trust him. And MCs that don't dis- be disloyal to God just because it will help them sell more units. There's a number of applications. Right now, if you're not saved, ah. What does that mean today? If you have not bought into the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship as he is, if you don't know too much about Jesus, but you're just trusting him, you need to write your name anyway because you need to be taught in him. Or stick around. Keep coming. We're going to preach Jesus Christ till he comes back or he takes us away. And it's in that you'll grow to see in whom you believe. And you'll say like them, we know and have come to believe. And if you're here and you're already a believer, we're praying that you will embrace the hard sayings of Scripture and that you will worship the God who called you to be a part of the few, called you to be a part of his church.